Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sparking Wholeness. This is Erin Carey. And today, I want to introduce you to Laura Schoenfeld. Laura is a registered dietitian, coach, and woman's health expert trained in functional medicine nutrition therapy. Very exciting. Her passion is empowering women to nourish their bodies, develop true strength, and ultimately pursue their purpose. Laura guides her clients in identifying and implementing diet and lifestyle changes that allow them to live a healthy, fit, simple free life without being consumed by thoughts of food and exercise. Love that. She draws from a variety of sources to form her philosophy on nutrition, including ancestral diets, principles of biochemistry, current research, and clinical experience. Recognizing that health goes way beyond diet and exercise, she teaches her clients how to focus on and implement life-changing mental and spiritual health habits as well. Her greatest mission is to help women realize that they are more than a body so they can move past health obsession and focus on pursuing the purpose they were created for. When she's not educating and serving her coaching clients and community, Laura loves traveling with her husband, Sundays with her church family, hiking with her dog, beach trips, live music, and heavyweight training. Ooh, that sounds fun. Thank you, Laura, for being on the show. This is very exciting. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is great. So I'd love to know a little bit about your background as I was digging around on um, your website. I found out that um, I guess your mom is also a dietitian. And so you grew up with that. So I'd like to know a little bit about your background with that and just how you have grown as a dietitian. Yeah. So funny enough, my mom's actually only been a dietitian for, gosh, I want to say like 10 years now, maybe even less. So yeah. So we always were in more of a health conscious household growing up. And I remember very clearly, I think I was like 12 years old when I came home from school, opened the fridge, and there was this jug of really gross, like looked um, bad or had gone um, spoiled or soured milk in the fridge. And I was like, Oh, what is this? What did my mom buy? Um, turns out it was raw milk, which I don't know. <laughs> I've never had raw milk before. Um, but I remember my siblings and I went on like a milk strike. For oh a couple my gosh. Weeks like we're not drinking this. It's gross. And funny enough, eventually I actually started to drink it and then really enjoy it as far as like <laughs> flavor. So, um, my mom was really involved in, and still is involved in a, um, organization called the Weston Price Foundation. Mm -hmm. And they're really into real food and supporting farmers and all of that. And so um, the food that I was raised on was pretty unusual compared to the average American Mm -hmm. child. And um, there was a lot of pros about it. And there was some cons as well, because I wasn't really necessarily paying attention to nutrition outside of Mm -hmm. the home. And I was an athlete. I was on the volleyball and lacrosse team in high school and um, was spending a lot of time with friends, like going out to lunch and, you know, getting food after practice and that kind of thing. And yeah. a lot of times I was eating pretty typical teenage diet, like pizza and bagels and that kind of thing. And 
starting around, excuse me, age 16, I started to put on some weight. And being an athlete, especially on the volleyball team, you're mm-hmm. wearing these little uniforms. We had these little spandex shorts as part of our uniform. And I started to get um, a lot of um, teasing about my body and about the way that I looked. And yeah, <coughs> I don't know what was caught in my throat. Sorry about that. <laughs> and eventually I started to look into some of the more common dieting type of mentality that mm-hmm. was being recommended by things like women's health magazine and shape mm-hmm. and all of those things. Oh that, yeah. Um, you know, they talk about like 12, 1200 calorie a day diet kind of thing. <laughs> and I was pretty much bouncing back and forth between having like slim fast for lunch and then having good quality food at home and then going out with friends and getting like, you know, large portions of junky kind of food. And so I just wasn't really treating my body super well and had a lot of um, negative thoughts about my body, poor body image. And that was high school. And then when I went to college, I played on the college volleyball team for a season. And throughout that process of training like an actual athlete Mm -hmm. and um, eating like an athlete, that kind of thing, I ended up losing about 30, 35 pounds my freshman year of college. And I started getting attention from Uh from boys, from, you know, other people. I started to feel like I was, um, you know, starting to fit in with the cool Mm -hmm. kids, that kind of thing. I joined a sorority and I started to attach my new physique to, oh, now people like me or, you know, guys are interested in me. And it became the situation where I started to become a little obsessive about maintaining this new body right. that, like I said, originally was just from playing volleyball and we would have like two a days basically um, training and then practice in the afternoon. And then I was eating in a cafeteria that had healthy food. So it wasn't mm-hmm. a purposeful weight loss experience, but it kind of solidified that belief in my mind that my body was one of the most important things about me. And Oh, I never got into any sort of like significant disordered eating or anything like that, but I definitely was trying a lot of different diets and was at the gym a lot and um, was really focused on always trying to get a six pack. And mm-hmm. it was definitely like in college, college was kind of easy for me. Um, sounds super braggadocious, but no, not at all. <laughs> I had a lot of free time and I spent a lot mm-hmm. of that free time just focusing on trying to make my body look a certain way. Right. And um, through that process, I did start to learn more about nutrition as a science, not just mm. um, the kind of foods that we were eating at home, but also just how nutrition actually works in the body. And through that interest and my mom was in her schooling for getting in her um, dietitian degree, I decided after I graduated college, because I had a degree in psychology, that I was going to pursue the nutrition field and go to grad school for um, a master's in public health and um, a registered dietitian degree. So I did that. I was in grad school for nutrition and that was when I got exposed to more of the paleo ancestral health world. Right. I got super dogmatic about that style of eating being the best mm. for everybody. And I used to say things like carbs are not um, essential nutrients and right. your body can make all the carbs that it needs and all of that. I've said that. Yeah, <laughs> I so, get it. You know, <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? Like early 2010s or something. Mm-hmm. I was saying that. So, mm-hmm. um, 
so I had this kind of dogmatic belief about nutrition and I was constantly trying to defend it in my conventional dietetics program because mm-hmm. they were really more kind of like food pyramid and um, right. oh, you know, yeah. government, government guidelines. And we did have a pretty progressive faculty and it was a great education. So, you know, when I say that it was more conventional, I think more of the public health stuff that we were learning was a lot more conventional. Um, but I was oftentimes feeling like I was defending my beliefs to my classmates and, um, you know, hearing things that teachers were saying and kind of like rolling my eyes internally about, Oh, okay. Like, you know, Oh, skim milk is better. No, it's really not. And I do still believe that, but (laughs) just kind of going through this process of, um, like I said, getting a little overly dogmatic about my beliefs and also trying to um, find my way in a field that has been informed by a lot of inaccurate science and that kind of thing. And fast forward probably to, I think 2014 was when I started my online business after I got okay. from grad school. And um, at that time, I was really mostly focused on just purely ancestral health, helping Mm -hmm. a variety of different conditions, um, working with people on implementing more of a paleo style diet. Mm -hmm. And through my experience with my own health challenges, seeing some of the repercussions of restrictive dieting and excessive Mm -hmm. exercise and, um, you know, kind of bouncing between like super low carb paleo and then eating whatever I wanted when I (laughs) would finally give myself permission to, um, (laughs) I didn't feel good in my body. I was gaining weight. I was having a lot of hormonal symptoms, um, sometimes having digestive symptoms and was kind of in this weird spot of like feeling like I should, I should have been healthier based on Mm -hmm. the belief that I had the knowledge to be healthier, but I was really going about it in a way that was not effective. And so through my work with clients and working on my own approach, as well as, um, I became a Christian in 2012 and that Mm. made a big impact on my values and what I was pursuing and spending my time doing. And basically over the last like eight years or so, I've really been on this journey of understanding the role of nutrition and fitness in our health, both physical, mental, and spiritual health, and Mm -hmm. um, really refining my practice when it comes to helping people actually improve the health of their bodies, which sometimes includes losing weight and losing body fat. So I'm not the kind of person that's going to argue that nobody should ever lose weight, but also recognizing the idea that we are more than just our bodies Mm -hmm. and um, that it's really important that even through the process of making changes to our body, that we're still emphasizing our values and um, getting our self-worth from um, what I believe is an unchanging source, which is yeah. what God says about us and getting to a place where we can implement evidence-based nutrition and lifestyle strategies to feel our best while also recognizing that health is not our purpose and that the mm-hmm. only reason why health matters is because of how it impacts our ability to live out our purpose. So I guess wow. six years later, 2020, it's, um, that's really my passion is helping people kind of merge the two fields of um, integrative and functional medical nutrition mm-hmm. therapy, ancestral nutrition, paleo-ish kind of um, mm-hmm. nutritional guidelines, and then um, combining that with more of that 
spirituality and mindset shift that allows people to approach these things without it consuming their thoughts or um, being the place that they derive self-worth from. So it's been a very interesting journey over the last like decade plus. Oh my gosh. um, No, I love it. Yeah. Everything you said, I'm like, yep, I've been there. Yep. I've been there. You know, like, because I, I think because we can see what we eat, we can see our bodies. That's all these things that we can see. We feel like we can control. We, we don't realize what kind of an impact that's having on our spiritual, emotional health and all of that. And I think that you have such a balanced approach. And I love that. Like um, one of the things you said about how you made your body or something about body being the most important thing. Like I've been there and I know so many people who are listening right now have probably been there too, because that's what we're told. That's what we see. We put so much emphasis on our value and our worth in our size or in what we're eating. It becomes a religion in itself, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so, yeah. So I just think that that's to hear where you've come from, where you are now. Like, I, I love it. That's That's just so cool to see that progression because I'm kind of, starting to go through my own journey and all of that as well. And um, that's fascinating. So currently where you are now in, in um, your business and through everything that you're doing, what, how are you defining health? Um, that's, I know that's a, another one to unravel. So how do you define health? Yeah, well, actually, I don't necessarily define health as like a definition, Mm -hmm. I teach my clients how to define health for themselves. Mm. Because for every person, health is going to be something different. Um, I work with a lot of people who have chronic health conditions Mm -hmm. like an autoimmune disease. I've worked with people with multiple sclerosis. And like I've had a client in the past who his goal with our time together was just to be able to walk from one end to the room one end of the room to the other without wow. assistance. So, wow. and that's obviously somewhat extreme compared to the mm-hmm. average person, but I that's why I don't have a a one size fits all definition of health because I think everybody out there has different circumstances that affect their ability to um, function a certain way. Yeah. They have different priorities. They have different um, amount of time that they can spend on their health pursuits. So, my feeling about health is that it should be self-defined and you should be identifying the factors in your own personal life that mm-hmm. allow you to, to really identify if you are moving towards health or moving away from it. So for mm-hmm. me personally, um, there's a couple of different markers I tend to track in my own body to mm-hmm. identify if I'm, if I'm, you know, doing what I need to do to take care of myself or if I need to make a change. Um, I had mentioned having a lot of hormonal issues when I was on Mm -hmm. that more strict low carb paleo diet. And um, so I was experiencing a lot of PMS and like cramping and Mm -hmm. heavier periods and um, long, long cycles. So, you know, 40, 50, even 60 days in between periods. Oh, wow. Normal. And so that for me is a really um, significant symptom that I will monitor now to make mm-hmm. sure that if that starts to go out of whack, that I can kind of reassess what I'm doing and mm-hmm. make some changes. Um, for me, a lot of times it's stress related. Nowadays, if I get too busy or if I'm staying up too late or um, you know all the things that can come from being self-employed that are maybe yeah. not the best lifestyle factors, mm-hmm. um, sometimes I'll notice those symptoms start to kind of creep back in and that to me is a sign that I need to make some changes or, you know, have some downtime, 
you know, reassess my habits, that kind of thing. Um, I know for me also, I can deal with digestive symptoms if, like I said, if I'm too stressed or if I'm Mm -hmm. not eating in a way that supports my digestive function. Um, All of the things that can affect digestion, there's so many different factors that can play in. Um, But just if I start to notice that I'm having um, some discomfort digestively or changes in bowel movements or anything like that, then again, I can go back and kind of think to myself, am I making choices that would be affecting this? Are there Mm -hmm. some changes I should make? Um, And the thing about symptoms is sometimes they really are just, I don't want to say coincidental, but sometimes they're really just transient. Like I know Mm. for me, even with the menstrual cycle, once in a while, I'll have a month of um, just a longer menstrual cycle that I can kind of pinpoint, okay, I was super stressed last month. I was staying up too late doing work, that kind of thing. And I probably didn't even ovulate because I track my ovulation. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to me. Okay. I, my, my period was like two weeks late. That makes sense based on what was going on in my life at that time. Usually I can get right back on track. And the same goes with digestive health. Like if I eat out at a restaurant and eat um, a bunch of greasy food that I'm not used to, or um, if, you know, if I just have been like erratic with my food intake because of busyness mm-hmm. and I notice digestive discomfort, I can say to myself, okay, that probably makes sense based on what was going on. And usually I can get right back on track. So um, other things that I track are energy. I track mm-hmm. my workouts to see if I'm progressing in strength. Um, I pay attention to how I'm sleeping, what my mood's like. So for me, I've identified some pretty major factors that can be almost markers of how my health is doing. Um, I do find that for most premenopausal women that the regularity and health of their menstrual cycles are a really good one to track for just yeah. noticing if things are um, the way that they need to be from a health perspective. But like I said, everybody's got their own Mm-hmm. Um, parameters and depending on the state of health that you're in or what kind of pre-existing conditions that you have, your your definition of health is going to be different than mine. Again, that that guy that I was working with that he just wanted to be able to walk across the room and we accomplished that and he was super excited about it. If you know if that were me, I wouldn't consider that to be a healthy day just being able to cross one room. So right. that's why I think individualization of even mm-hmm. the goals is really important and mm-hmm. not to have this blanket recommendation of what everybody's health should be like because um, we're not in 100% control of our bodies mm-hmm. and our health outcomes. And I think it's important to take responsibility for what we can control, like mm-hmm. our habits, the food we eat, the way we exercise, but understanding that just because we do the things that we believe are right doesn't mean that we have 100% control over the outcome. And it doesn't always mean we have 100% control over our circumstances that might be playing into the way Mm -hmm. that our health um, shows up. So um, I know that was a really long winded. No, it's, it's great because I think, you know, a lot of people, they want that one size fits all. Like it wouldn't be easier if like we could just say, Oh, this is what you do and you're going to be healthy, but it doesn't work that way. Um, So, yeah. So I, I love that answer. And I think it's really helpful because my, what, what is healthy for me might be different than what is healthy for you. Um, And I think, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say one thing I wanted to add. Um, The reason why personalization around that is so important is because I think sometimes people pursue quote unquote health markers that are not actually a health marker for them or actually creating um, a worsening of health in other areas. So a great Mm -hmm. example is women that are really focused on 
leaning out and um, maybe athletic performance. And, you know, if they're a runner and they want to lose weight to run faster or they're a crossfitter and they think if they lean out and have more muscle to fat ratio, they'll be stronger and then they lose their period. And so the question is, you know, are you actually healthier just because you've leaned out or you've lost Mm -hmm. weight when if your menstrual cycle goes away, that's a telltale sign that your health is having some problems. So I do think that people need to be aware that um, we can't just like pick and choose the things that we want to focus on and not look at a a system as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so if you're noticing that the more you focus on one area of health, the worse other things get, then you want to make sure that you're not just so laser focused on this one thing that you're ignoring all the other signs that your body is not thriving. Um, right. And that's why the, the personal definition is really important because, um, you know, there are some people out there that can get really lean and not lose their period. And for them being very lean isn't a problem. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of times we don't realize that, that we compare ourselves to others and we think, oh, she's, she looks a certain way and she's super healthy and I want to be like her. And you mm-hmm. don't realize that for your body to look like her would be actually really unhealthy. And it would be really stressful too, right? And stress plays such a role in how so many things function, right? Like that's what I've been learning more and more lately about my own life. And when I get overly stressed and I'm doing too much, my body tells me and it's not good, (laughs) you know? So um, I think that that's, yeah. Oh no, I love everything that you just said. I think that's super helpful. So one of the things that I want to ask you about, because this is, um, there's a video out there on Facebook that I guess went viral. I don't, if, if you consider, yeah, viral is the term, right? Um, that you shared about um, the phrase, your body is a temple, and how so often we use and probably abuse that phrase. So I would love to hear more about um, your take on that. Maybe share some of the things you stated in that video, because I know for me and so many other people, um, a temp- my body being a temple can also lead to my body being my idol. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so I'd love for you to get into that a little bit. Yeah, so I had put together somewhat of a controversial video. <laughs> Some people were not so happy about it. But um, basically, the purpose of that video was to change the way that Christian women think about the phrase, your body is a temple, because mm-hmm. that phrase is in the Bible. It, it's not mm-hmm. something that is just made up. Like, you know, and I think that was the big criticism that I got from the people who were not so happy was that, oh, but that's in the Bible. Like, you can't say that that's not true. Yeah. Um, and so what the purpose of the video was to show that the belief that your body is a temple can lead to you worshiping your body. And when we say worshiping, I know that sounds like, oh, you just love your body and that kind of thing. But a lot of times I see worshiping turning into more obsessing and worrying about it and Mm -hmm. overly focusing on it and um, really putting it at the forefront of your thoughts and your actions and all of that. And so um, when I was looking into the original Greek in the Bible that that phrase was written in, um, there was a couple of different translations for temple. Mm-hmm. And one of them was a sacred dwelling place. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like I said, the word temple can get misconstrued to think that, oh, it's this thing to be um, glorified and, and mm-hmm. you know, taken care of at all at any cost, that kind of thing. And my perspective as a Christian is that it's actually just a home, a sacred home, for the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And 
the health of your body is important. Obviously, um, just like an actual temple that would have existed back in biblical times, you're not going to go in there and trash it, right? Like you're yeah. going to spray paint graffiti on it and that kind of thing. But you're also not going to sit outside the temple and just like worship the temple and look at, oh my gosh, this temple is so beautiful and it's amazing, that kind of thing. That's right. not the purpose of it either. So from a spiritual perspective, the temple is to be cared for and maintained because of what's inside of it and what it um, houses essentially. And so mm-hmm. if our bodies are a home for our spirit as well as the Holy Spirit, then yes, we need, we have a responsibility to care for our bodies and to steward our health well because our bodies are a gift. But when we get into that place of obsessing about our bodies mm-hmm. and worrying about it all the time and um, never being satisfied with how we look and comparing ourselves to others, mm-hmm. all of those um, those mindsets that a lot of women tend to struggle with completely goes against the way that God wants us to see our bodies and to Mm -hmm. how he wants us to treat our bodies as, you know, the quote unquote temple. So that's what that video was really talking about. And my goal with it is just to help Christian women see a different perspective when it comes to the way Mm -hmm. that they see their bodies and think about their bodies. Because I do think we live in this very all or nothing kind of world where you're either living off kale and, you know, running (laughs) marathons or Uh CrossFit six days a week, or you feel like I can't do any of that and I don't know what to do. So I'm going to sit on the couch and eat Krispy Kremes instead Mm -hmm. because I feel overwhelmed. And I don't feel like either of those responses are the way God desires us to treat our bodies. I think there's a really great happy medium that's a little different for everybody, but just understanding, um, you know, our bodies are created with certain needs, certain, you know, biological needs Mm -hmm. that they have to have to function. And then beyond that, trying to optimize appearance, performance, all of that, there gets to be a point where it's no longer just to maintain your body. It turns into this trying to control or trying to um, get value from your body itself. So that's what I, I really do, um, do my best always to help my clients get Mm -hmm. out of that headspace of thinking that they have to control or manipulate their body to, to feel loved or to feel valuable or to feel like their life is in control and um, get them to a place where they can make healthy choices that honor their body that they were given and treat it well so that they can use the energy and the health that they get from that to um, pursue the things that they feel like God's calling them to pursue. Yeah. Oh, that is such, I love that perspective. That is, it's very refreshing, I would say, because I think so many times, especially as Christians, we get into this. Now, I'm a little backstory. I went to high school in the late 90s. And at that time, true love weights was a big thing. And getting your purity ring was a big thing. And saying no to sex before marriage was like the best thing you could ever do. And I have kind of noticed, and I don't have any data to back this up. This is just observational. A lot of us who came out of that era have now like the purity, the sexual purity has now turned into the food purity. (laughs) And I see a lot of believers going into the 
clean food versus unclean. I mean, this is an age old problem, right? Like this is not new, but it's like, we want to have rules. We want to check boxes. We want to make sure we're doing the right thing with our diet and the right thing with our bodies so that we're living the way that we're supposed to, so that either we can be seen a certain way or we can get our own self-worth in that or whatever it is. And so everything you're saying, I'm, I, I just, it resonates with me so much because I'm seeing that as a trend to where the food thing is becoming like next level purity culture. I don't know. Does that make any sense yeah, to you? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and I've, I wasn't raised in that since I wasn't a Christian mm-hmm. growing up. Um, but I definitely know about it. And mm-hmm. I've heard some people mention, um, you know, their experience with that. And it's funny because I think the purity culture, um, thing is such a, it's a perfect example of how this desire to live life the way God wants us to live it can go wrong because I, you know, I agree with the idea that, um, and this is like personal opinion. People don't have to feel shamed if they don't agree with me, but I do agree that it's for our best that we save sex for marriage Mm -hmm. for the reason that, um, you know, it's a sacred experience and um, marriage is a covenant and Mm -hmm. our ability to express ourselves sexually is protected by that that covenant that we're in. Obviously, everybody's had their own experience. Um, I was not a virgin when I got married, but it, I, my husband and I waited until we were married to have sex with each other. So mm-hmm. you can approach um, that purity, quote unquote, mindset from mm-hmm. a place of, um, I want to respect my body and I want to respect my husband's body and I want mm-hmm. to, um, you know, create the best uh, opportunity for us to have this sacred relationship mm-hmm. and have that kind of mindset. Or you can have that kind of mindset that's like, sex is bad, sex is dirty. Right. Like, even thinking about <laughs> sex is bad and, you uh-huh. know, my, my sex drive is gross. Like just all the natural mm-hmm. things that come along with mm-hmm. that that's the kind of thing that can get created when you have that black and white thinking about Mm -hmm. something like sex. So the same thing goes with food and exercise, that kind of thing Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, God created our bodies to operate in a certain fashion and he created food. And a lot of times the food that creates problems for us is the man-made food. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do think that there's some level of going outside of God's design with the kind of food that Mm -hmm. we typically eat in this country. But, we're also then starting to attach the cleanliness of food, which clean, I don't even like the term clean eating. I think it's, uh, yeah, me neither. Yeah. Weird. Um, but that concept of clean eating then starts to have morality attached to it. And then right. people start to think people who eat clean are good people and people that don't eat clean are bad people. And it's the same thing with sex. Like we start to have this idea that anybody who's ever had sex outside of marriage is somehow dirty. And then the people that save themselves for marriage are clean and pure. And the fact is that none of us are clean without right. Jesus' sacrifice. We right. all have sin. We all, like, I think um, the term is that, like, our good deeds are filthy rags before the Lord. So mm-hmm. the fact that we think that by eating a certain way or using our body in a certain way or not using our body in a certain way that somehow we're earning cleanliness and, like, mm-hmm. you know, purity and that kind of thing, I just think that whole concept is just incorrect. And so like I said, the sex thing's a great example because we can look at food the same way. Yes, God designed food for our health and nourishment. And there's certain ways that he created food for us to consume that if you do that most of the time, you're going to be in a better state of health than if we start yeah. to eat things that were designed by humans and you know manipulated so that they're 
they're more um, addictive to our brains, that kind of thing. Um, but we don't earn our our salvation. We don't earn our relationship with God by eating a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I really do think that you know, people who were exposed to that purity culture upbringing probably start to have that association with the cleanliness of their body being somehow reflective mm-hmm. of their value in God's eyes. And so, yeah, I could totally see that being like a big, like just kind of setting you up for that. Cause you know, as people in the purity culture get married, then obviously they're how you're allowed to have sex. And that's a whole nother right. topic. Oh, then it's, it's like, totally. <laughs> yeah. How do you go from thinking that sex is like uh-huh. gross and dirty to, okay, now it's not gross and dirty anymore. Now it's right. like, yeah. So, and I'm not yeah. the expert on that. I've heard a lot yeah. of really awesome <laughs> experts on uh, that whole topic in general, but it's the same thing with food. It's like, you know, if you think that eating clean is somehow like preventing you from ever having a disease or ever getting sick or, you know, somehow making you better than other people or making you like this holier than thou kind of person, then that is a hundred percent opposite of how God wants us to view food and nutrition and health. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting connection and I don't know if there will ever be any like data on that, (laughs) but I I would not be surprised if that was contributing to it in, at least in the world of, um, Christian women. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think because we do, I know for me, I've put so many, like you mentioned the carbs thing earlier. Like I just made me laugh you saying about how, well, we don't, our body needs, or we don't need any outside carb sources or whatever it was. You said, I'm like, yep. I've, I mean, there's so many things that we pick up on that. It's like, this is the way I'm going to eat. Cause this is the best way. And then I become judgmental towards anybody else who doesn't fit my box of eating style of the moment, whatever that is, you know? And so it's like, there's a lack of grace given towards, um, food in any way. And, but again, like that's a new Testament problem. Like we've been talking about that for centuries. So, um, what do you think are, um, the women that you deal with, what are some of their most common struggles? Like what are things that you see the most, what do women come to you for the most? That's a great question. And I do tend to see a really wide variety of different health conditions. Um, So I would say the most common things that I see are digestive disturbances and hormonal imbalances. Mm -hmm. And then um, I do work with a number of women who desire to lose the extra body fat Mm -hmm. that they are uncomfortable with. And um, that's a whole nother ball of wax talking about (laughs) weight loss because I, I, I tend to take a little bit of a messy perspective on um, weight loss, fat loss, that kind of thing. I'm not really in the camp of pure health at every size where, mm-hmm. you know, the argument is that body fat has no implication in your health. I actually mm-hmm. think from a um, physiological perspective that that's not true. And I also think it's um, really unfair to people who are struggling with significant extra body fat that maybe are experiencing health issues like joint pain right. or infertility, or um, you know maybe they can't get a certain surgery because it's unsafe for them to do so at their mm-hmm. size. I think it's a little unfair to say, oh well, you just have to stay that way. You can't do just anything. Just accept your size, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I also, on the flip side, do not agree with the idea that everybody can lose weight and look a certain way, and that if right. you have extra body fat, that all that is, is a calorie imbalance and that you're mm-hmm. eating too much and not exercising enough. I think that's not correct either. Um, it really does ignore a lot of the hormonal influences and gut right. health influences, immune influences on body weight. So all of that said, um, like I said, a lot of my clients do have digestive disturbances, mm-hmm. which 
The scary thing there is that there's a lot of research about how disordered eating habits can Mm -hmm. create digestive issues like IBS. And um, I even have a pretty strong inkling that dieting behavior like chronic restriction and binging and, um, you know, the kind of habits that come from that over exercising. I um, personally believe that that can be a trigger for autoimmune disease in women. Mm. I see a lot of women that have had um, an autoimmune disease diagnosed fairly soon after they've kind of hit their low when it comes to um, disordered eating and exercise behaviors. So, um, so a lot of the conditions like digestive illnesses, um, autoimmune disease, even hormone imbalances, either um, a lack of a menstrual cycle, which is very often caused by imbalance of Mm -hmm. food intake and exercise. And um, even things like PCOS and endometriosis where, um, you know, things like stress and malnutrition and lack of self-care can exacerbate those conditions as well. So my practice kind of runs the gamut as far as the kind of clients I work with, but I do find that there are some key commonalities between the people that I work with where a lot of times they're under a lot of stress or they were under a lot of stress before their symptoms developed. Um, They struggle with either accidental or purposeful under eating. Um, Mm. They don't really even know how much food their body needs to function normally. Mm. And Uh they a lot of times have food rules in their mind, like I can't eat carbs or I can't eat gluten or I can't eat dairy or whatever it is um, that they've adopted as truth for themselves, but have mm-hmm. no evidence that that's actually beneficial to them and are simply following rules just to follow rules. Yeah. So, um, and that's, <laughs> I feel like that's another, uh, rabbit trail. Gosh, you could go down. Yeah, like Christian we can make this two hours. Yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, my, whenever I work with a client, my goal is to help establish their baseline nutritional needs and make sure that they have a simple, and um, effective way to meet those needs with the meals that they're eating. I also mm-hmm. want to make sure that they are appropriately restricting food. So either eliminating restrictions that are completely meaningless for them, or if they do have a food that actually would really benefit them to avoid, then we figure out how to do that in a way that's not creating disordered mindset around food. Right. Which is um, tricky. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. And um And then when we think about certain health conditions like digestive illnesses and hormone imbalances, that kind of thing, a lot of times I do bring supplemental protocols into that as well, just to kind of give them a little bit of a boost with the healing process so that Mm -hmm. they can start feeling better. Because a lot of times, like for example, in digestive illnesses, if somebody is feeling really bloated and um, has a lot of... um, like early satiety if they're eating and then they get bloated really fast and their appetite gets suppressed because of that, it is hard for them to eat appropriately because their digestion is off. They're not having normal hunger and satiety right. signals. Um, they just have a really tough time eating in a way to support their needs because of the digestive um, dysfunction. So if we can kind of go after that dysfunction and, and help them resolve it faster, then that gives them a lot more space to uh, broaden their diet, bring in things that maybe they had to avoid before, mm-hmm. like certain vegetables or certain types of carbs or fats, that kind of thing. And um, my long-term goal with all of my clients is to get them on the least restrictive diet possible mm-hmm. while also understanding how foods and exercise and self-care strategies affect their health. So that way, um, my my just general philosophy with health is to do the least amount necessary to get the best results. Mm-hmm. And so I help them establish like what are those 
basics that if you can be consistent with that, you can get 80, 90% of the health that you desire. And you don't have to go to this extreme of like being, you know, neurotic about your food and being at the gym every single day and um, being afraid to go on vacation because you don't have control over what you're eating or you have to take two weeks off exercise Mm -hmm. and you're freaking out, that kind of thing. So, um, and that's how I live my life. Like I know I I like to go to the gym three times a week, but even this week I've only gone twice and Mm -hmm. um, I'm just kind of like, okay, twice is good enough. I feel fine. You know, like I I like to go three times a week and that's my ideal, but it's, and certainly going more than three times a week, I don't think is necessary or beneficial. Mm -hmm. So I don't really push for that. Um, and then with food, my feeling is I try to eat real food, um, macronutrient balance. So protein, carbs, and fat and veggies at every meal and, um, have enjoyment food on occasion, but try not to have, you know, mm-hmm. enjoyment food at every single meal. Cause usually that's not mm-hmm. the healthiest stuff for us. And so that, that way of living is the way that I, you know, help my clients figure out their own version of that so that they can meet their physiological needs and eliminate any of those, um, those underlying health conditions that are creating un- like discomfort or distress or just like getting in the way of them living a normal life and being able to do so in a way that does not require neuroticism or, um, you know, making your whole life revolve around your diet and exercise strategies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's really stressful and that's just an extra stressor on the thousand stressors we already have. And so that's not helpful for anybody, you know, like yeah. it's so it's true. Cause it's, I think the worst feeling is, you know, going to a restaurant and looking at the menu and going, I don't even know what to pick because it doesn't fit what I'm supposed to be eating right now. And I understand some people have like allergies and, and, you know, celiac things like that. It's a totally different story, but for the general public, like it's, I, for me, I'll just say for me, I want to be able to enjoy food because I like food. And I think that there's something, you know, even if you go back to biblical times, like feasting is part of the human experience. That's a gift. And so I think that there are times that we can celebrate with food and look at the blue zones, you know, they have a variety of fun food that they eat, but the majority, you know, is, is this real food, whole food, all of that. So, yeah. So I, um, yeah, I really love that. And so it sounds to me like you don't, (laughs) you don't count calories with your clients. Is that correct? So interestingly, um, sometimes we do, but usually it's because they are not eating enough. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah. (laughs) Because, um, like I said, some people don't have the most accurate appetite and satiety systems for whatever mm-hmm. reason. So like I said, could have a GI issue. Even if you're stressed, like I know for me, if I get super stressed, my appetite drops and I'm not mm-hmm. as hungry and I have to make myself eat and mm-hmm. really purposefully put food on my plate, even if I'm not hungry for it. Yeah. Um, also things like if you have a history of dieting, then maybe your baseline is 1500 calories a day is what you think is satisfying to you. But um, really your body needs 2,300 for the amount of exercise you're doing. And so we have to work up to that number. Also, another thing I see a lot of times is um, people that are trying to eat more quote unquote clean, they load up their plate with vegetables and they don't realize that vegetables are so low calorie that they could be eating this massive plate of food, but Uh it's only 400 calories for the whole plate. And so that's, that's usually when I bring calorie tracking in Mm -hmm. as a tool. Um, because ultimately like, I don't, I don't see calorie tracking or even macro tracking as being something that is sustainable for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. I know some people might argue with me about that, but I mean, my, 
and this is maybe just me being kind of lazy, but I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like that doesn't sound fun to me. And most of my clients would agree that tracking every bite of food for the rest of your life does not sound like a super appealing way to live. (laughs) Um, But when I use counting and tracking, um, Two, two really important caveats. One is that usually the number is not so much a limit as it is a target to get at least that much. So if, they, if their goal is 2,300 and they eat 2,400, they didn't fail. They actually succeeded because the goal was to get 2,300. And even yeah. if they got 2,000, they still didn't fail because maybe had they not been paying attention, they would have only eaten 1,500. So it's really yeah. just a way to get somebody getting to a place where they are fully fueling themselves. Um, so there's never any sort of judgment around not hitting that exact number and it's not a hard limit. They can eat more if they're hungry. It's more just trying mm-hmm. to get them to a baseline. Um, and then the other major difference is I use it much more short term. So if we are going to use it as a tool, it's really just to reestablish some expectations around what a plate of food should look like. So if I have a client who understands that they need Um, Because I have some super active clients, they might need 3000 calories a day to meet Mm. their activity needs. And most women are not naturally eating 3000 calories a day from whole food sources. Right. If they can learn how to put together a plate that has certain portion sizes of proteins, carbs, fats. And I, I'm these, when I say portion sizes, they're usually pretty loose. It's not like they're weighing and measuring things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like an eyeballing kind of thing. But once they get to see what that looks like on their plate and they get to feel what that feels like when they eat that much over time, they start to just learn naturally to gravitate towards that amount of food and their Mm -hmm. hunger and appetite um, signaling starts to come back to normal and eventually they don't need to do any tracking whatsoever. Um, Cause I know personally, I don't, track. Um, I've, I've experimented with it before, but like I said, I, <laughs> I really don't enjoy it and it's not right. something that I would want to continue doing. So, um, and I also see the value of understanding that calories and macronutrients are important for us to be getting a certain mm-hmm. amount of to fuel our bodies. And if you have a history of accidental under eating, you have to have some knowledge around what your body needs to be able to eat enough on yeah. a daily basis. Yeah, because I think a lot of us who are yo-yo dieters or were in the past, we probably do undereat, and that is not good. So yeah, I'm mm-hmm. so glad that you addressed that. I think that's really important. Um, so last question before you know, I ask you how we can all find you and stuff mm-hmm. on on the interwebs. Um, but if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone towards wholeness, what would you say? So something that I've been learning a lot about lately is the role of identity in behavior and habit change. And mm. it's, a, it's something that I think a lot of people are not talking about in the health world. Um, I was first exposed to this concept in the business world, actually. And it's the concept of the be, do, have model as opposed to the have, do, be. So just oh. to give some people some context for that, most people think about life from a have, do, be perspective. They believe that once they have something that they want, then they can do the things that they want to do or that they need to do. And then that will make them become this person that they desire to become. Mm -hmm. And so they're waiting until something external happens to them Mm -hmm. so that they can take the actions that they want to take. And like I said, eventually they believe that those actions will then make them be this person that they 
desire to be, that they would be confident in, that kind of thing. And from everything I've been learning about behavior change recently, it's actually the exact opposite strategy that actually helps people make positive changes for themselves. This is the be, do, have model, which is to say that you first have to identify who is it the person that you're being or who is it that you need to be in order to take the actions that you need to take in order to get or have the result that you want to have. So this really comes down to identity and seeing yourself Mm -hmm. as a person who does a certain type of behavior. If you see yourself as somebody who um, can't follow any sort of um, diet plan, or you look at yourself as being, I just fail anytime I try to change my nutritional habits. Um, that belief about who you are is then going to drive habits. You're either going to be trying to stick to super rigid plans that are doomed to fail, or you don't even try because you have this belief in your head that you're just somebody who can't do that. And so Mm -hmm. that decision then leads to the outcome of either overly restricting your body and creating health problems or giving up on any sort of change whatsoever. And then that creates health problems. Right. So the other way of looking at it is you can start to change your identity to be um, you could literally just say, I'm somebody who cares for the health of my body. And that taking on that identity and asking yourself, like if I'm just saying, let's say future Aaron, and you say future Aaron values her body and cares for it. When you come across an opportunity to make a decision about what you're going to eat or how you're going to exercise, or if you're going to go to bed early that day or whatever it is, you can say, what would future Erin do? Future Erin would, she would eat vegetables, but she also would enjoy some chocolate. Like she's not the kind of person that just, you know, is either totally obsessed about dieting Mm -hmm. or eating whatever is available, whether or not it makes her feel good. Um, Future Erin is someone who likes to move her body, but doesn't force herself to go to the gym if she doesn't feel good. So you can start to take on this identity Mm -hmm. of your future self and ask yourself, what would future me do in order to be in the situation that she's in and have the results that she has? And that is what drives the actual actions that you take. So if I identify as someone who lifts weights and I identify as someone who enjoys strength strength workouts, then even on the days that I'm kind of like, eh, I don't really feel like going to the gym, but I know I needed to go twice this week at least to really feel my best, I'll still go um, unless I'm sick or if I had a really exhausting day, I might push it off to the next day. But I go because I have identified as someone who lifts weights two to three days a week and I make it happen and I, you know, yeah. I just kind of make it less dramatic and just go. And maybe it's not the best workout I've ever had, but just the fact that I went then starts to build evidence for that identity that I am someone who lifts weights two to three days a week. So when we have that new identity and then we take the actions that give evidence for that identity, it strengthens the identity, strengthens the habits, and then by result, those habits then lead to the outcomes that we desire. So I know that was like a very long answer. No, I love it. Yeah. No, it's great. Everybody's trying to go about it backwards where they say, I need to, um, you know, I need to have this result or I need to be um, doing this action to become this person that I desire to be. And 
when we don't do the thing or we're not seeing the result as fast as we want to see, we then start to be down on ourselves and start to say, I'll never be successful. What's even the point of trying? And then we go back to our old behavior. So, um, and this is stuff I've learned from a variety of different sources, lots of really awesome books out there. And um, I've noticed it in my own life, making a huge impact on the way that I show up on a day-to-day basis, because Mm -hmm. the fact is we live in an environment where living our healthiest and best life is not easy. Mm -mm. Um, It's a lot easier to, you know, kind of lay around and eat junk food and Mm -hmm. not, you know, try to better ourselves or develop our, our um, understanding of things or, you know, reading self-development books. I know some people love it, but other people might not think it's as enjoyable. (laughs) And so, you know, having that discipline to say, to become the person that I know I can be, these are the things that, these are the habits that I need to do and I'm going to be consistent with them. I just think it's a completely different way of um, looking at health so that it's not that you're trying to earn your self-worth or that you're trying to prove that you can become someone. You're operating from a sense of, I am worthy and this is who I am and I'm going to take actions that um, are a result of that knowledge of who I am as a, a valuable person. I love that. I love everything you've said. And I wish that we could like just talk for two more hours, but we can't. So, so where can people uh, find out more about you? I know you have a couple eBooks. Is that right? Um, which I will be looking at right after this because I'm loving everything you say. So where can we find you? Yeah. So my website is lauraschoenfeldrd.com. Um, I have a free ebook on that website called Honoring God with Your Health. It's an 83-page ebook, so definitely has a lot of really juicy stuff in there. Um, I have a podcast called The Fed and Fearless Podcast, mm-hmm. and that's where I talk about a lot of this stuff as well. Um, and then on Instagram, I'm at Laura Schoenfeld RD, and you can search for me on Facebook as well. And we have a free Facebook group for women who are looking to um, ditch obsession and perfectionism around their health and use their health to fuel their purpose. And that free Facebook group is called the Fed and Fearless Society. I love it. Okay. And I will put um, your website and stuff in the show notes for people to get easy if they're worried about the spelling. So um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) my name is not the most easy last name to spell. (laughs) Well, thank you so, so much for being on. That was just a wealth of information. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Erin. And I know I tend to like ramble. So thanks for bringing me in. (laughs) It was great. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.